All right, if you'll take your Bible, if you have it, and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, and while you're turning there, I, I maybe kind of set things up a little bit this way. I, when I uh, uh, get a call late, of late to say, hey, um, we are looking for someone to marry us, I have to correct them immediately. I'm already married. So I have to say, you mean you need someone to perform the ceremony? Ah, that's exactly what I mean. I had that happen recently, and I said, well, look, and I, I need to, I really need to kind of sit down, and we need to chat a little bit. You don't know me, I don't know you, and it'd be a really cool thing if we did get to know each other just for a few minutes, you know. And so if they've got enough time, and we've got enough time between when they uh, contact me to the time that they want to have their wedding, I have begun assigning, yes, assigning, them a book that we would discuss. It's uh, by a friend of mine. He's, he's been here a number of times. Uh, my friend Jason, pastor's in northern Virginia. He wrote a book some time back, and the title of his book is Living in Sin. Catchy title for a preacher, huh? Living in sin. All the things. If you grew up Baptist, you know exactly where your mind went. I know where your mind went. Immediately hearing the phrase living in sin. What he has done in that book is, is to not talk really about marriage, but to use marriage as kind of the analogy or the, the word picture to communicate the way in which God shows up loving us. We've talked about this. I, I've, I've talked with a number of pastors about this who've, who've been down that same road. And, and I've come to the conclusion all these years later that, that, that most of the time when two stand before God and witnesses and they pledge their I do's, they have no idea what they're I doing to. And, I mean, listen, if you say in sickness and in health, you are hoping it's all health. Never ever counting on the possibility that it might be sickness. And the specter of death, like we just started. What do you mean we're supposed to think about till death do us Who wants to think about death? And in that book, what we find as we work through it with young people is that, that this is a picture. This marriage is a picture of God taking that great big risk of saying, I do to the family he wants to have that includes you and me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, may we see in Jesus today what Simeon saw that day in the temple. Your salvation, your rescue, and your adoption of us have always been the plot. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we find joy, joy in the I do that never leaves and forsakes us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, the one we call Abba. Ten years, ten years before I was born, Ian Fleming created the secret agent character in his novels known as 007. And if your favorite Bond actor was Sean Connery, it's Bond, James Bond. Fleming died one year after I was born, and so since 1964, eight other writers have, have kept the franchise going. Seven different actors have played the part of 007 over the last 70 years. 
The adage is true. If you have seen one James Bond film, you have seen them all. The plot does not change. I have a confession. I'm a James Bond fan. I don't know if it's DC Comics or any of those characters growing up where always there was some kind of intrigue, some kind of special skill, some kind of special ability that always made sure that the hero won and the villains lost. Now you, you may have a different franchise favorite. I'm I'm also uh, have an affinity for Clint Eastwood, and if you track his filmography and nearly every Western you've ever seen, They all follow the same storyline. The plot does not change. A a couple of years ago, in a February cold weekend, I was uh, asked to uh, uh, present at a a small conference, a a little breakout session. Uh, I think my subject was something about Ted Lasso and the gospel. It, It was pretty good, actually. One of the things that we uh, got to do, uh, those of us who were uh, uh, invited to be a speaker, we had a a time to kind of get a tour of a couple of unique places in Tulsa. Um, And and one of those is is the building that sits right across the street from the Canes Ballroom. And it's a building that's going to house Oklahoma's Pop Culture Museum. It was during that tour, nothing in the building. I mean, nothing. It just white walls and floors. No, I think there's a, a, maybe a rail car in the foyer is all that was there at the time. But there's nothing in the building. But as the, one of the um, people responsible for planning and putting it all together was walking us through saying, this is going to be here and this is going to be there, he made this interesting remark that Oklahoma has a history of uh, being really important in, in literature in writing the Westerns. And he he made this offhand comment. He said, the rise of science fiction is actually influenced by Westerns. So I thought, Ghostbusters? Men in Black? The plot does not change. And sometime today or tomorrow, when you set out to make your New Year's resolutions, you'll find the reality. (laughs) The plot does not change. An acquaintance recently wrote, This is your yearly reminder. No one has ever become their ideal self. After all those resolutions and elimination diets and strivings, it's always a moving target. The plot does not change. But how we tell the story, how we tell the story may change and and the plot may thicken a little bit along the way. It doesn't change, but it may thicken along the way. When Simeon was led by the Spirit that day to the temple, he, he, had, he had, in fact, by, by his words, you, you find out that he had been promised that he wouldn't die until he had seen the salvation of the Lord. So the prompting of the Holy Spirit led him to the temple that day, and then he walks. Not the priest, not someone with responsibility for making sure all the details in the temple were as they should be. He just was coming to the temple because he was directed, and when he arrived there, he finds Mary and Joseph and the eight-day-old baby Jesus. And upon seeing the eight-day-old baby Jesus, he 
is recorded as essentially saying that the plot has not changed. Now, in Luke 2, we are mostly familiar with the first part. You know the bit about shepherds abiding in the field. But not long after that, you get from verse 22 to the end of, almost the end of the chapter, almost I said, you get this little story. It's one of our readings for today. It, it is the little story of Simeon and Anna both seeing the eight-day-old baby Jesus. And, and upon seeing Jesus, Simeon's words are recorded this way. Master, it's a prayer, it's a prayer. now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now listen, Simeon proclaims in his words that the plot does not change. What's fascinating, what what ought to capture our imaginations is he's saying this looking at an eight-day-old baby Jesus about which he has no idea what's going to happen next. He utters these words before Jesus has preached his first sermon, which we find in the book of Mark, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before Jesus is is pressed out into the wilderness to be tempted by the Lord, I mean, tempted by Satan, uh, and uh, taken out and, and for 40 days, and then those pinnacle moments he's, he's tested to choose against his own best interest, which would mean choosing against our own best interest. Before that happened, he says these words, before Jesus offered his first sign, or we would say miracle in John, the, the wedding at Cana, turning the water to wine, before Jesus described life in the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, before Jesus drew large crowds and fed them, before Jesus called his disciples, before his battles with the religious leaders and the political leaders, before the Last Supper and betrayal, before the sham trial and Pilate's hand-wringing, I mean hand-washing, before he was beaten and mocked, before he was crucified and publicly shamed, before Black Saturday and before Easter Sunday, Simeon looked at the eight-day-old baby Jesus and he said, "'My eyes have seen your salvation.'" Simeon is saying the plot does not change. You know, it, it's, some might say that such a repetition, such an over again, and, and we're not done saying that the plot has not changed. If there's one thing I hope you leave this morning knowing is the plot has not changed, the plot does not change, and we'll get to what exactly that plot is momentarily. But sometimes when you repeat something over and over again, people become a bit cynical, as, as though really we, we say that, but we really kind of are saying it kind of with a, a hidden snark or, or, or a, hidden, a, a hidden suspicion. But here what we're saying, when we say the plot does not change, we're saying it is good news. We proclaim the good news that God determined not to be God without us. That ought to sink in. We are receiving the good news that God determined not to be God without us. Or put another way, God wants a family with whom to share his love. Put still another way, a pastor friend wrote it this way, we are the ones with whom God wants to share his life. Therefore, the plot cannot change. If the plot of the story is God wants to share his life and love with us, then the plot cannot change. 
It's not that it does not. It is it cannot because that's God's determination and His intention. He wants a family and you in it. He wants a family and you in it. So what we do is we interpret the story of God through the promise that God does in fact want a family. He wants to share His life with us. And the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the Word made flesh, is the event. It is the event that reveals the desire at work in Israel's story. That is the history God makes for Himself. And we read that history. We look at that history. We discern in that history that the one God has made The history that God has made has always desired a family with whom to share his love. Now, I don't know about you, but in a world where we're not sure some days how to feel about family, you've just been through the holidays and you probably, like any family, have some of those like, I hope so and so doesn't show up. (laughs) But what you know is, what you know is, is that even that person that makes you the most uncomfortable, that makes you the most out of sorts, they need a family to be in. Everyone is longing to be in a family. And it's good news to hear that God wants us in His family. Isaiah Isaiah the prophet in our passage from chapter 61 and into 61 and, and into 60, chapter 62, he, he is trying to move from the place where he tells Israel, the reason that you're suffering the consequences that you are are because you decided to choose against your own best interests. It's a long history, but their history is one of faithlessness more than it is faithfulness. And as a result, they make decisions that consequently leave them in captivity. And so, in then now addressing them in captivity, God is giving them a promise. You'll not always be there. In other words, you will not always suffer the consequences of your decisions. Now listen, it doesn't mean we won't suffer consequences. It means that one day those consequences will be wiped away wiped away. That's the promise. And so when Israel uh, is wondering where God is and where has God gone and why isn't God taking care of us and why are we still in captivity? Why are we still experiencing these things? He, he shifts, his, he shifts his, his metaphor, his picture, and, and, he, and he moves from this idea that God is going to rescue his people kind of using military language, which is the stylistic way to talk about victory in a, in a tribal culture, in a, in a clash of cultures and superpowers. It's, it's not any different than today. But what Isaiah does, he gives the word of Israel, uh, word of the Lord to Israel, and she shifts from her military lack compared to the leading superpowers of the day. He moves their attention away from their repetitive lack of faithfulness compared to God's own history of being faithful. He moves them away from receiving the Lord's love as absence compared to His ongoing watchful eye over them because the plot doesn't change. It thickens. The story of God's salvation is not just about. 
That means that God's history is thick with all the ways we understand salvation. It's not just about. The word just limits the scope, the size, and the situation to those invited into the family. We're just looking for a few good people. Just limits the possibilities. Just, just limits the scope of who's invited. It's not just about When we talk about salvation, when we talk about it in the frame or the register of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures, here's what we're understanding, that this sort of salvation is for the offended and the offender, for the oppressed and the oppressor, for the abused and the abuser. That means that it's a thick plot. It's opened up. It's more expansive. It's not just for whatever group or class of people you hope it's for. Here's what we hear that that seems to be the seed of Simeon's hope. It's in Isaiah 61 and 62. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He has covered Excuse me. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. He shifts from military to marriage and the people who are suffering at the hands of those in power are now being described as those who are being prepared for a relationship with God the one who is giving the I do that is God is giving the I do so no longer is the theme military but marriage the the plot doesn't change but it does thicken what, what can we take from, at least initially, from Isaiah's word is, is this. God was not then, hear me, God was not then, nor is God now looking for a powerful nation. God does not need a superpower's economy, a military, or social structures rooted in various forms of hierarchy. In other words, God doesn't need any group anywhere who thinks that they're the ones who are going to rescue God's image. It's borne out in the Hebrew Scriptures that every time Israel thought that they would be the ones to exonerate God's image, they chose against their own best interest and became actually a laughingstock and became a disappointment to that witness. God's not looking for a superpower nation, a powerful nation. God desires a family. And when we read the scriptures carefully, God is not turned away by the fickle, the feckless, and the faithless. I I, I don't really like alliteration, but that really fit, by the way, just just in case you're wondering. You'll remember, fickle, feckless, and faithless. You may not remember anything else, but you'll get those three F's before we leave today. God, like in the history of Hosea, does not change the plot just because the people are Fickle, feckless, and faithless. Instead, the story of Hosea is the story of God who goes after a people who've been just all of that. He pursues lovingly, which means he pursues us in the same way. That is why it's odd that anyone would expect perfection 
from us, the church. It's not that the love that is God does not change us. It does. It just doesn't always changes us, change us immediately. We are very good at changing appearances. It's much more difficult to be changed all the way down deep here. So when it comes time that we face the stresses and pressures of life, sometimes what we're seeking to overcome deep down in here does eke out. And the idea that that we would be perfect is to detract from the one who pursues us in love. It's a shift, if you will. It's it's, it's 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 a bait and switch to say, Uh, We'll take it here. Well, if we had had the capacity to take it from here, we should have had the capacity to take it from the start. But we're fickle, feckless, and faithless from time to time. So here, the church is at its best. You ready for this? This is very tough for us now. The church is at its best when she is declaring the good news this way. While we were yet sinners... The fickle, the feckless, and the faithless. Christ died for the ungodly. That means for us. The way we tell the story of God is not that God saved those ungodly people. Those people. The good news story is that we are those people. (laughs) That God desired to have a family and he knew what family can be like. And he loved us anyway. And he said, you're my family. The plot does not change, but the plot thickens. So by the time we get to the passage in Galatians, which I was actually supposed to already have read, I got ahead of myself. So if it's okay, I'll read it real quick. And you'll just kind of reinsert it back at the top where we should have been. Here's what Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When we talk about a a thickening plot getting to Paul's letter here, we need to understand that Paul is upset with his siblings in the Lord with his sisters and brothers in the Lord who have now taken up again to choose against their own best interest. So rather than live in their newfound freedom as sons and daughters of God, they were looking for another master, one they would create out of their own religiosity, one they would create in their own image. If we can say, hopefully you'll hear me, if we can say that the plot does not change, then we ought to remember that there are some things going on in the world that we're just repeating. That was free. And, what, and this is, this, these words that Paul wrote are what ties Simeon's words to the apostle Paul's. When Simeon said he saw Jesus and declared Jesus to be God's salvation, Paul said it different, but he said the same. God desired to have a family, and that family was enslaved to the for, a force we call the law, small l. 
a law that instructs us in the way we handle relationships such that we think relationships are governed by transactions and back scratches. That love is about earning, not gift. But what we find in the scripture is God's love is not about earning, it's about gift. And what Paul says is, is that while you were under the forces of law, where you thought that all your relationships would be valuable because of what you bring to it, what you can get out of it, and what maybe you can give along the way, he comes and says, I don't need that effort. I don't need that earning. I just need a family, and you're in it. You're invited into the family. You don't have to prove yourself valuable to the family. Some of us have had or know of the experience of adoption. There's a a long history of it, but it is a reminder that you have been chosen by someone to be in their family. The rest of us, well, we hope our parents like us. We hope that we can live up to whatever expectations, whatever dreams and hopes. But in adoption, someone says, I want you. That's the image. So when Simeon says, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, he sees what God has promised in the one who has been born. That the one who has been born will do away with all the expectations that you can make yourself worthy for a family. It's no, you're going to be in my family anyway. There are lots of uh, trauma in the world and, and a lot of people who have battled and faced that need to hear carefully. They need to hear all the ways that they have been included and invited into the family by God himself. The plot hasn't changed, but it has thickened. And it's thickened with, uh, with layer upon layer, story after story, that reveals how the law served as our master, so strong a force wired into our human experience that requires perfection that we cannot attain. Our attempts have filled the world with miscalculations. Most of all, it has sanctioned love as something earned, not given. Cut off from love orphaned by the law from the one who loves us. In Christ Jesus, God adopts us as his own. You ready for this? That means God takes into his own life. You ready? The fickle, the feckless, and the faithless. Yep. You, me, us. The plot does not change. The plot thickens and widens to include you and me. That acquaintance continued her yearly reminder, your ideal self does not exist. You do. If you don't already feel a bit of relief right there, by the way, your ideal self does not exist. You do. Your actual lumpy, shimmering, inconsistent self is the one that is loved and needed here. In other words, Abba loves us into his family. Abba loves us into his family. Remember the words of the prophet. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. 
For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The good news? The plot does not change. God desires to have a family, and he's invited you and me into it. Would you pray with me?